welcome to Professor Dave Debates. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Today we have another special episode. This is going to be another one of my SciComm Camp interviews. If you listened to my previous episode with Dr. Adam Becker, I had a great chat with him about the history of quantum physics at SciComm Camp uh, in November. And today's going to be my other episode that was recorded at SciComm Camp. And in this one, I sit down to talk with Ian Street. I've known Ian for a while from these SciComm events. Uh, we met at the SciComm Camp a couple years ago, and we always have these interesting conversations regarding specifically plants and uh, genetically modified organisms or GMOs. Um, He has a lot to say about this topic. He's very passionate about this topic. And so when we were at the camp um, having one of these, you know, revved up conversations, I said, this is this has got to go on the podcast. This is great. Because what's interesting about Ian is that he's not he's not representative of biotech, right? He, he doesn't work in biotech. He's not in the industry. Uh, he's done no research uh, funded by the industry or anything like that. But he is a PhD plant biologist. So he uh, understands how plant works. He understands the developmental biology of plants. That is his background. That is what his PhD is in. And so, and he has used similar technologies as are used in the industry. But there's no there's no crossover here, right? He doesn't work for biotech. He's just someone who understands how plants work. And as such, he has an interesting and informed perspective on the process of genetic modification, what we are doing with this technique in agriculture, how that works. Uh, you know, and and it is a hot button. Issue, of course, with the public, and uh, we need to understand where this rage is coming from, uh, where what kind of marketing is capitalizing on that rage, uh, and so we just want to we want to understand as much as we can what genetic modification is, what is going on when we are creating genetically modified organisms. Uh, how they're used, what they do, if there are dangers, anything like that. So that is what we are going to be talking about today. So here's my conversation with Ian Street regarding genetically modified organisms. So it was a pretty good weekend. Did you, Was there anything you gleamed from it? Um, yeah, I like on camp was great. Um, again this year and I think the highlight is like for me is always figuring out like you know like getting new strategies for figuring out best practices for communicating science and Mm -hmm. I got several more of those this year for right and like particularly like how to pitch content out to the world here's Um, how here's everyone's strategy here's everyone's strategy let me combine them right and you know, and also a good sense of the community and the fact that, you know, like this is important work to get knowledge out to the world. That's right. <laughs> right. And like, there are very, there are a number of areas in which this information is needed. Right. Very greatly. Right. One of them being what we're going to be talking about here today. So, mm-hmm. and I'm very excited about this because I haven't talked about this yet on the show. Uh, and it's a very, uh, it's very topical um, with genetically modified organisms. Let's just kind of start um, it, when people hear that phrase or mm-hmm. the acronym GMO, it stirs up emotion. It stirs up a lot of things. Right. So what do people think it is mm-hmm. and what is it actually? Right. So a GMO is, it stands for genetically and modified organism and also sometimes abbreviated genetically engineered organism or mm-hmm. GE. And what that conjures up in people's minds is something that 
is scary or like, oh my gosh, what do you mean you're modifying the genes of, Mm -hmm. like in this place, we're talking about plants, but you can genetically modify many organisms. Mad scientists. Right. Mad scientists. They don't know what they're doing. It's, you like, you know, it's technology run amok um it's you know too modern and new and what who are we to play god playing god yeah that's those are the kinds of fears that get conjured up when you say the word genetically modified organism Mm -hmm. to people and in the science community it doesn't conjure up those fears i think because you know like we have to cross i's and dot t's to make sure the modifications that are made do the job that they are designed and meant to do and that they're safe and that, you know, they're tested. And some of this come, you know, like, I don't want to get heavy into this, but you know, like it involves a regulatory process and, you know, we can argue whether or not those are sufficient or not. Or corrupt. Or corrupt. Right, they're corrupt. And right. the, the big business, I think it's just sort of right. all convoluted under the right. umbrella of big business. Right, and, and that's the other thing people use genetically modified organisms as a shorthand for is, oh, it's just big business doing bad things again. Mm-hmm. It's equating um, Monsanto, which is now Bayer. Um, yeah, the Monsanto name is gone. Uh, yeah, they're you know, criticizing Bayer for being one of the world's biggest corporations and equating them to ExxonMobil and mm-hmm. Chevron and whatever other mm-hmm. evil large corporation you want to think of in the world. Like which it's is all of yeah. a piece, right? Which is not utterly without basis, right? but is too blanket and convenient to really have any meaning. Right. It's, right. It's a, yeah, it's sort of a faceless boogeyman in a lot of ways right. where you don't, you know, it's, Fine, like you know, there are many, many, many things to criticize about large corporations and businesses that mm-hmm. seem to run our world. But you know, being against, you know, utterly against and afraid of GMOs, or um, is you, know, you need to separate the technology and the product from you know maybe the business practices that you're actually right, up, like somebody might actually be upset about. So let's conveniently do yeah. that right now. Let yeah. us separate the product from the okay. business and let's talk right. about the product. So what goes okay. into genetic modification? What's what are we right. trying to do? Okay. What's all so that let's right. So the modern technology of this is humans have developed, you know, what's called recombinant DNA technology mm-hmm. and you can take a piece of DNA from one place and put it in another. And in this case, it's, you know, often moving DNA from one organism um, to another. So in this case, mm-hmm. like a good, like one example of the ones that, you know, Bayer produces is um, Bacillus thuringiensis or the BT toxin. Uh, BT is a bacteria that lives in the soil. It was discovered in Japan in the 1910s or 20s. And um, this scientist, this Japanese ecologist, figured out that it kills moths, that, you know, it, it kills lepidopteran insects. Mm-hmm. Which were eating crops. Which were eating crops. And right. he figured, like, Big and problem. people pretty quickly figured out, like, it was also, you know, slightly later discovered in Europe in the soil, a BT like bacteria. Um, mm-hmm. And people figured out, it's like, oh, we can use this as a tool to put on our crops to protect them from being eaten. And guess what? We grow more food on less space. 
And so they continue to, mm -hmm. they produce Bacillus thuringiensis in mass quantities and spray it on their crops. And to this day, that is done. This is an organism or it is a, or, or it is a... So there's two versions of it um, that you can spray the organism itself. Mm -hmm. Like I think you can dry it down and like mix it up and spray it. And there's also just the actual protein product. So I guess we should get into this very quickly. Like sure. There's and don't, DNA. Yeah, let's, we can get right. slight, this show, we okay. like to get slightly technical just okay. because we need the info, right? Okay. So, yeah. right. So like, just to explain to anybody who's not a molecular biologist. Exactly. Yeah. Um, organisms have DNA. So if it's a living thing, it has DNA where it stores genetic information that DNA, um, you know, and it, that's just a storage device, right? The DNA. Mm -hmm. Then DNA gets turned into a molecule called RNA, which is slightly related to DNA. And and I'll come back to RNA later um, in the episode when we're talking about you know the history of genetic modification, the natural history of genetic modification right. and the history of life on Earth. Mm -hmm. um, and RNA then gets turned into a protein, which are the basically workhorses of the cell. So like anything that you think of as an active process, like you moving your fingers mm -hmm. or you thinking a thought or um, any active life process involves mm -hmm. proteins. Like wiggling my fingers right. is muscle proteins. It's most work. of the stuff. So through right. a series of processes, DNA right. is read and then the stuff that we are is made. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And right. And so the BT gene is um, this gene in Bacillus thuringiensis that kills insects mm -hmm. and and how does farmers. it kill them so insects will eat the pesticide or eat the pro eat the bacteria or eat the protein so you can like the other form of it is just having the pure bt protein and you spray that mm -hmm. and the insects will come along and chomp on the plant that has a bt toxin on it and it gets um basically it pokes holes in their guts and kills them mm -hmm. uh, is the mechanism of action and like some of these toxins are quite specific. So there's BT toxin. There's many versions of BT toxin in nature that target very specific kinds of, you mm -hmm. know, moss and butterflies. So it literally will, will operate even only on uh, one particular species of moth. Yes. So how are very related species and like we aren't affected by it. Like right. our digestive systems break down that BT protein. Right. So, yeah, so let's, let's talk about that a little mm -hmm. bit because I, I think one of the main problems is that a lot of people think, well, we've got this, this substance on the plant or mm -hmm. whatever is going on and it's harmful to, to weeds, it's harmful mm -hmm. to a pest, it's right. going to be harmful to us, right? Organic right. matter. So why is right. that not true? So in the case of the BT gene, just to finish the GMO story very quickly, sure. but like what scientists at Bayer did was they figured out, well, we'll take the BT gene and just put it into the plant itself. Right. So when the insect comes and munches, it the gets poisoned. The plant is now producing that protein right. itself. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, and, and arguably that is slightly better in the sense that you're not just spraying a field with it. Mm -hmm. So it's... You just it's just in the plant it's just sitting there mm -hmm. it doesn't get sprayed all over the soil right. but bt is a natural soil organism so it's you know probably fine anyway mm -hmm. this is like again i want to say completely 100 percent product natural product right <laughs> so that's the gmo bt toxin and you know people do get afraid of like oh we're spraying things on our food and um well that's the reason we have protections and regulations and farmers let me tell you like Farmers don't want to sell poisonous food to you. No, <laughs> that not would be good for business. bad for their business. Yeah. Um, 
and you know like there are like you know like bear is trying to solve a business problem like they're trying to have solutions for farmers to grow more and better food to sell mm-hmm. and if you know like there's one mistake they made when they first came out with this technology i think it's they thought that their market was farmers and that's our end user and we're done like that's who we market to. That's who we sell seeds to. That's who grows our product. Right. That's it. And then you've got the public that are. But then you have like the consumers of the food the, yeah. who are like, well, you didn't tell us about this. What right. the? What is this? We're the ones that, that right. eat the stuff. And yeah. now they're coming back and like trying to make retrospective efforts um, in mm-hmm. that area mm-hmm. to like, like, oh no no, this is what this is. And so was this BT one? This is a, an early. It's example? an early example. Okay. It's one of the first products out. Like okay. BT. So there's BT corn, right. BT maize, um, soybeans, and I believe cotton mm-hmm. are the only three on the market. Okay. And so this uh, solved the problem, uh, the, uh, dr- dramatically increased uh, yields because the, this- Because there's off. less insects. Right. You're saving farmers time mm-hmm. and fuel, like, so they don't have to go okay. spend fuel in their machines to go spray the field anymore. So yeah. you're somewhat- you know, reducing a carbon footprint as well. Right. There's a multitude of, uh, right. of effects now. So uh, to the person who would say, well, that protein in there, what is that going to do to me? And, and with, right. and is, is justified in asking that yeah, question. It's, certainly. A, it's a definitely a question to ask. Yes. And, um, you know, so like people, yeah. So like they have done, like they do tests on this, like experiments are done and, mm-hmm. you know, give like, the rat, the protein, give the rat, the protein, see what, what happens. happens and what's the lethal dose. And, mm-hmm. you know, like, BT doesn't affect the human gut. It doesn't affect the mouse gut. And, you know, we've been eating the product for decades Mm -hmm. and there have been zero problems with it. So Uh, the point is that, I mean, two questions. Number one, you mentioned that we we have enzymes that break it down. Right. That that insects don't. Or stomach acid. Or or stomach acid, right. But I'm curious because I have no idea uh, uh, this mechanism of action that you mentioned where Mm -hmm. it's poking holes in the insects. How does that work? So I would, I don't actually know the precise mechanism, but like Mm -hmm. it's basically a very sharp protein in the insect gut. And you know, it's able to poke through the lining of the insect gut, like, you know, in the cells and like, which you is know, a completely whatever the particular material right. than is in ours. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's a very different configuration to what we have, right? Like insects have completely different physiology to humans because of course, yeah, dramatically we're different, really yeah. different on, like we're pretty far apart on the evolutionary tree right. of life. About as different as animals can right. get exactly yeah and you know you can think about like another natural example of this is you know with capsaicin and peppers right a little bit with mm-hmm. capsaicin is a natural product that humans like you know it's chili peppers right like okay. it's the spice you taste mm-hmm. and we taste it like it tastes hot right and mm-hmm. like you know humans is like well we actually enjoy that so we're going to grow tons of peppers and make them as hot as possible and but like most mammals will eat a pepper and spit it out and be like yeah that burns and i don't like it Oh. And it produces like a false burning sensation, right? That's what that is. Right. Like it makes you feel like you are on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, like guess what? Birds don't have a capsaicin receptor and the plant has evolved that they want to be eaten. Those chili peppers want to be eaten by birds so they can spread the seeds far and wide. Interesting. Oh my goodness. So yeah, that's the evolutionary, that, that's, that's the, that's the reasoning there. And, and right. it, it, it touches on something very important that, that everyone ought to try to wrap their heads around because I think that a lot of people would try to ascribe an objective hotness 
mm-hmm. to something like a pepper without uh, without fully realizing that a perception or a sensation is is must be subjective, right? It, it, right. it can only be re- the result of how that substance is interacting with a part of our bodies, right? right. We have a receptor that tells us that we are mm-hmm. feeling that hot sensation. That object right. is not objectively hot. Right. right, exactly, and precisely. Mm-hmm. And then like, the other technology that Bear brought is Roundup Ready, which is even more controversial than VT. Yes, which means let's get right into there, too, right. whenever you are so, prepared. Right. <laughs> so I'll just say one more thing like with the BT story. Like In Bangladesh, they've introduced a, a BT eggplant. Like, nothing to do with Bear or Monsanto. This is like an independent project that, you know, they're... They mm-hmm. literally gave this plant to Bangladeshi farmers to grow and spread around as they see fit. And because eggplant is a culturally important crop in Bangladesh and the farmers love it. Like, and the, the reason farmers adopt these technologies is because they work and they love them. They're growing better produce, better quality, more of it. And it's Which not eaten by insects and yeah. they're, you know, and the alternative is spraying insecticide, right? Mm-hmm. Which is what they were doing before, mm-hmm. like over and over and over again. And BT reduces that pesticide use. Right. Which is very, and, and we can get into it yep. now or later, but that's sort of the, the main problem is like, I, you tend not to know where the outrage lies, whether right. it's in the genetic modification or if it's the pesticide use, whereas mm-hmm. if it's the latter, then you maybe ought to be pro genetic modification because it's reducing right. pesticide. use. And it's all context dependent too, right? Exactly. Like the GMO solution is not the answer in every single case. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you're very much, and like, I think many farmers, they buy a mix of seeds to plant every year. Like some are genetically engineered, some are not. Um, and in some places they're required to have like buffer zones of like non GE. So like you don't spread the pollen far and wide. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. And so like, it's very context dependent, right? It's like, if you know, this technology works for you where you are, like you're going to use it because it works well and it gives you a good product in the end. And that's what's important. Like, you know, in Bangladesh, this is like changing farmers lives, right? Mm -hmm. Like these are people who are struggling to grow enough food and now they have more than they can sell in some cases. Wouldn't it be effective to give some of these farmers a platform to just sort of explain from their perspective Mm -hmm. what the impact of this technology is? And I think those exist. Like, I mean, there are several farmers who speak out about this and like why they grow the crops they do. Mm -hmm. Um, I, like Jenny Splitter is one, like she's at Jenny Splitter on Twitter, I believe. Um, and she's like, yeah, like this is why we grow these on our farm. Like, mm-hmm. um, and you know, these are, this is why we practice farming right. the way we do. And cause like, I mean, you, you can show people numbers, right? And exactly. Go, oh, screw numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, they like story, right? Let's give them a story. Right. You know? So, yeah. yeah. So let's talk about like one specific example of roundup where, like, I think the Roundup version is a slam dunk case better than the alternative. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cause like, again, like, you know, do farmers rely on Roundup too much? Because like, it, again, like this is a case of it works really well and it's a great product for controlling weeds mm-hmm. and you spray a small dose of it once or twice on your crops and you're done for the season. Right. Um, so there's a case of, you know, like, so you know, like there are very few versions of genetically modified crops out on the market right now. So like there's soybeans, corn, cotton, 
and um, sugar beets is one where they have a Roundup Ready version. So sugar beets produce sugar on your table, right? Like that's one source you can get sugar from. And there's a Roundup Ready version of sugar beets that, you know, you spray Roundup twice in a season early on to control the weeds. And then um, the plants are established enough that the weeds aren't a problem anymore because, you know, plants compete with each other too. Mm -hmm. And if you crowd out your neighbor, you're not going to be able to grow. So this is, you know, fundamental challenge in agriculture is like, okay, how do we dense, get more mm -hmm. dense crops together? And the problem is like, well, plants compete with each other. Yeah. And, you and, know. and maybe let's, let's quickly yeah. clarify what is meant by Roundup, Roundup Ready. Okay. So Roundup is an enzyme that, um, I, I don't remember where they got the enzyme from at this point right now, but Roundup is an enzyme that they put into the plants that um, deactivates the Roundup pesticide, glyphosate, mm -hmm. right? So this enzyme in the plant will kill, it will like, you know, stop the pesticide from working in that plant. But like any plant without this enzyme is going to die mm -hmm. because it interferes with the plant's ability to make a specific um, part of a protein called an amino acid. Mm -hmm. So like if you can't make one ingredient in your proteins, you're not going to live. Not going to make the proteins, not going right. to live. So, so, uh, so glyphosate is the pesticide. It's the pesticide. That we spray it on everything and yep. it kills plants. Any because, plants without the enzyme. Right, because they can't right. make their parts. They can't make tryptophan mean. specifically is the amino acid. Okay, and so, and so Roundup Ready is a term that means we have taken a gene... Right. And we've inserted it into, into the this, plant. Into the seed of this plant. And then from that gene is produced this enzyme that mm -hmm. that cuts up glyphosate and it can't do what it does. Precisely. Okay. That's how that works. Precisely. Okay. And, um, right, precisely. And, yeah, and so, again, anything without that gene is going to have a hard time surviving. Mm -hmm. And so, in the case of genetically modified sugar beets, like, you know, this was like, you know, a great thing for farmers growing sugar beets because what they did before was a cocktail of six or seven different insecticides sprayed more often, mm -hmm. like in longer in the season. And, you know, and because of anti-GMO fear in some places, they've banned the Roundup Ready sugar beet. But, and the farmers are going back to the previous method of six or seven pesticides they're now spraying on their sugar beets because people are afraid of the GMO. And arguably, one pesticide is better than six or seven. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're arguing that, like, all pesticides are bad. Right. And when we reduce these as much as possible, like, just by sheer numbers, spraying one once or twice is better than six or seven being sprayed more many times. Seems objectively right. the case. And so, yeah. Right. And so these are just, you know, two examples of, you know, and again, like I said, the Roundup Ready Sugar Beet may not be the right thing for farmers mm -hmm. or growers everywhere in the world who would potentially use them. But and it is an option available to farmers and a modern technology that, you know, it saves farmers time. It lets them have a better life in some ways. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, cause like, guess what? Like all that spraying takes more work. But so, so it, it, is it a dual situation where it is about killing weeds, but mm -hmm. where does, where do the pests come in? So in the Roundup Ready case, like the weeds are the pest. Oh, okay. That's right. what we mean. Okay. That's in that Got case, mm -hmm. right? But, like, obviously there are insects that eat sugar beets too, mm -hmm. and you want to prevent those, and you may have to spray insecticide. Or, you know, what bears also doing is it's called stacking traits. You can have Roundup and BT in the same plant. Like, mm -hmm. it's a basically, I mean, it's 
it has been conferred two traits through modern molecular biology. We put two genes in there. Right. And so it's almost a little grab bag. You can go to the website mm-hmm. and go, I'll take this gene. I'll take this gene. A little bit. I mean, it's more designed than that. Like, yeah. it's more like, oh, this would Here be good if we could have, yeah. right, this year. Like, you know, this yeah. is this year's modern technology. Or this is this year's, you know, version of seeds. Here's our newest innovation, right? It's it's more of that than... Which, which astonishes me. I mean, I guess it doesn't astonish mm-hmm. me that it divides the public, but it intrigues me because to me, that's invigorating. To me, that we would have such a level of control on the genome that we can bestow organisms with sort of, we can just like sort of willy-nilly let's give them this mm-hmm. trait this trait i mean obviously we can't abuse that power but right it, it it intrigues me how afraid people are of that process i wonder right. how what we can elucidate about that right and i mean i think like some of it comes down to it just sounds very unnatural to most people right right and they're like oh it's just not natural like moving dna around like that just Oh, I don't know. And mm-hmm. like it sort of elucidates the disgust response and therefore like fear of sure. fear of it. And like again, some like a lot of it is, you know, the large business aspect. Like they feel like, oh, large business controls these and therefore um, you know, it's a problem. And like we've already talked about two GE products and like the thing like to really impress upon people and like from the scientific point of view and the narrative, like, you know, genetically engineered or genetically modified organisms aren't one thing, right? And so, like, in a good example, like another example, like, we do this with bacteria all the time. So if you eat cheese, if you're a cheese eater, like somebody who likes cheese, Guilty. I'll get you 99% of the cheese that's produced involves a genetically modified bacteria. Mm-hmm. Like, they took the gene from um, rennet, which is, you know, the lining of a sheep's stomach, which is what you need to produce the curds and cheese. They figured out like, oh, well, this is, you know, the gene that does that. And they put it into a bacteria and that's how cheese is made now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Basically in any industrialized context, like that's how cheese is made. So it, right. if you're eating cheese, you are eating a genetically modified product. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that bacteria is there, you know, anymore. It's, you know, in the final product, like it may be a little bit, but I mean, you know, you're still eating it. Or like, you know, this yeah. is how we produce insulin for diabetics now. Right. It's a genetically modified exactly. bacteria. Yeah, there are medical uh, right. ramifications and so, here. Right. And like, you know, another example of a plant in the world is, you know, like, I don't know if you know about the American chestnut story, but like the American chestnut used to be the dominant tree on the East Coast until an imported Chinese chestnut blight um, that, you know, infected the Chinese chestnut tree when it could, but like the Chinese chestnut evolved with this fungus. Right. And like the Chinese chestnut has tools to resist that fungus. Mm-hmm. The American chestnut did not. And it got brought in a shipment of, you know, Chinese chestnut lumber from China and got out into the wild and decimated, um, the American chestnut forest. Like, you know, it used to be like, the story used to be that a squirrel could run from the East coast all the way to the Mississippi river Without, without touching, touching the ground. ground. Yeah. Right. I don't know if that's true, but this is like, Maybe you know, a bit hyperbolic, but this uh, is like, you know, these were, this was the forest yeah. of the East coast that mm-hmm. is gone now. Like, and virtually like, this was a shock to like the people at the time. Like, it's like, Oh my gosh, we've lost our chestnuts and they've been replaced somewhat by Oak trees. Right. And so there is an effort to bring back mm-hmm. the American chestnut. So there's two ways that people have gone about this. They've, took in the Chinese chestnut and crossbred it with the American chestnut to bring in the resistance gene from the Chinese chestnut tree into the American version. Mm-hmm. 
and you know, and then you just like so you cross in the resistance, you test in the next generation for which plants are resistant. You cross it to an American chestnut again. You figure out, you know, you basically keep crossing until you have almost all American chestnut genome again. Because when you cross two things together, you bring two genomes together, right? You know, you have a mom and a dad basically, and you're combining the DNA of those two organisms, and then you you know keep crossing to the American chestnut while testing for the Chinese chestnut blight resistance. So like the idea is like you bring back the American chestnut genome more and more and more as much as possible. And you have, you know, all the genes of an American chestnut as much as possible with the Chinese Maintaining chestnut resistance. The resistance, yeah. And so with that effort, they've gotten to 15 sixteenths American chestnut and one sixteenth okay. Chinese chestnut, you know, in terms of the DNA of the organism. So it's like, Solid yeah, that's pretty good, right? Yep. So there's another effort with its involves a genetically modified organism where they've taken a gene from wheat that breaks down oxalic acid, which is how this chestnut blight infects the actual trees. Like it makes oxalic acid and breaks through um, the skin of the tree and infects it and causes it to die very, very quickly. And so they've taken this one enzyme from wheat, put it into the, the American chestnut genome, and it basically is disarming the fungus. It's not mm -hmm. killing it. The fungus can go about its life and reproduce just fine and live on the surface of the tree just it fine. It's the production of this product that right. is killing it, the tree. You know, right, exactly. And like, mm -hmm. it's just like uh, oxalic acid is not useful for infecting the tree anymore. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't. And so like, it's a very subtle sort of clever approach involving a genetically modified organism. And, you know, by putting this one, like, you know, genes tend to be several, you know, like there's a much smaller segment of DNA than like, one sixteenth of a genome, mm -hmm. right? And so you have this case now where it's arguably the GMO is more American chestnut than the interbred crossed version with the Chinese mm -hmm. chestnut. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's, you know, more natural in bringing it back, I, you know. See, I, I like this example because the, the, I think a lot of people criticize modern technology in a lot of way, in a lot of realms, because they just say, oh, we don't know what's going to happen. We're not, we're too dumb. We don't, we, mm -hmm. we can't predict what's going to happen. Something bad is going to happen. But we, we've just, we've just discussed a situation where this has nothing to do with technology. Mm -hmm. A tree came from, from there at, to here. Mm -hmm. And then all these trees died. I mean, this has nothing to do with technology. We, basically, we don't know what's going to happen ever. Right. We're just growing as a species. The population is ballooning, mm -hmm. and only by studying technology can we, right? We came up with these, I mean, we saved that species mm -hmm. of tree right. with our mastery of biotechnology. Right. That's how we did it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I, I, right. I, I get that fear, but it's like, look, we can either freeze as a species and never progress Mm -hmm. Or we can sack up and try it and learn right. and exactly. And it's not like you know this GMO American chestnut, like as well as the crossed version, like it has to go through regulatory approval. And you know that's where it is right now. Mm -hmm. Like I think they've got a version they're pretty happy with. Like they're still testing, like you know what's a good version of this to bring back you know, into reintroduce. But like they have to get approval from the EPA, the USDA, and the FDA for mm -hmm. this you know potential reintroduction of this tree into the natural world. So it's not that, you know, people aren't being responsible, like trying to be responsible and tick the I's and dot the T's and they're being open and transparent about like what they're doing in this effort and um, trying to bring back the American chestnut, which was an iconic tree on the East Coast right. until it got, you know, wiped out basically from the face of the earth because of, you know, a horrible fungal disease. Yeah. And, you know, again, like these 
plant pathogens aren't going anywhere and they can be devastating. So right. like think about the Irish potato blight that, sure. you know, like we still see the effects of today, right? The population of Ireland has not recovered from the 1848 blight that wiped out potato. A strictly natural occurrence. Right. Uh, and mm. this brings me to my next point about just saying, you know, like, do you, you know, do you know where potatoes come from? Like where they're native? Mm. Okay. Do you think they're native to Ireland? I suppose I didn't think that. Okay. I knew that they were. Okay. So they're a plant in the world, there, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, right. And, you know, but they're an import from South America. Okay. Like potatoes are native to the Andes Mountains in, um, yeah, in South America. Interesting. And probably yeah. in, a, in, a, in a form that's unrecognizable today. Um, as many of the yes and no so there's lots of species and varieties of potato and Mm -hmm. like you know tuberous vegetables like they all come from this one family called the deadly you know from the nightshade family of plants like named after deadly nightshade um which is poisonous right and so potatoes are related to yeah um, nightshade as is tobacco and tomatoes and but like they're an import from south america right and so like we up like humans uprooted an entire plant took it an entire genome worth of DNA and moved it to Ireland to Europe mm-hmm. and actually like all over the world. Right. Like, you know, do you know, like, you know, there's like one of the iconic, you know, sort of things in India a little bit is the ghost pepper, right? Like mm-hmm. a chili pepper. Like, well, guess what? Chili peppers also native to South America first. And then they got spread around the world by humans. And, you know, like mm-hmm. somebody bred a ghost pepper in India, like with pepper plants that they had from, south america at one point but you know like is it native there no Na- native to chile i right. imagine exactly yeah uh, yeah and well it's not it's i believe Ballpark. bolivia more yeah but yeah okay um right and so like you know humans have been moving plants and genomes around like you know coffee is yeah. native to east africa and we grow it a lot more coffee yeah. in central america and south asia now and like, yeah, and it isn't and that's uprooting a whole genome and moving it isn't around that, the world. Isn't that as audacious, if not more audacious, than genetic modification? Right. Exactly, because we that's don't know ecosystem modification. Exactly. Yeah, and you know, and we do it because, like, oh well, you know, we want, humans need we products want our tasty and stuff like, that we want. Right, like <laughs> food has gone global, and you know, it all sort of, you know, it, I mean, it, the big event, I guess, was the Columbian Exchange when. You know, like, and, you know, in the colonial era, basically, like Columbus came and like, oh, here's a whole new continent that I'm, you know, like claiming to, to discover, even though not village. really. But then like, you know, that's is when inner trade started, like, you know, tobacco went to Europe and, you know, um, you know, like all these plants started getting exchanged for better and worse. Like this is an, another way humans have altered the face of the planet, mm-hmm. you know, by uprooting entire genomes. And then, you know, in terms of. You know, and so like, you know, like, wow, like humans, like we modify genomes all the time, right? Like another example is like the peanut where like, you know, like peanuts are also native to South America. Sorry, I shouldn't buy, buy as many as all, like, I shouldn't use all South American examples, but it just happens. South so America is like, just the, so what we th- all of these things. Right, exactly. <laughs> so like there's two plants that, you know, peanuts are a hybrid of two species that live, you know, several hundred miles apart and people brought them together at some point. They crossbred and, oh, there's a peanut. And... Like, we like peanuts, so we're going to keep propagating them and growing them mm-hmm. more. And, like, that's, you know, genetic modification, too. I know. And, like, there's a lot of, like, or, like, you know, grapes. Or like broccoli or something. Right, broccoli. Know. Yeah. I think people don't understand that we have literally invented out of thin air many, many of the things that we eat. Yes. 
Precisely. And I you think know, people picture the Garden of Eden and like a perfect tomato and a perfect mm-hmm. carrot and a perfect, perfect apple banana. And it's like, no, these things did not look this way right. until we made them look that way. Exactly. And like, you know, there's another version of, you know, sharing genes between plants, which is grafting, which is how grapes and apples tend to be grown. Um, like you take you know, the shoot of one apple tree and graft it onto rootstock of another and see what kind of fruit gets produced. And it's like, is it good or is it bad? You try an apple and see, and if it's good, well, you, you know, propagate that apple mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you have a new variety and you know, like it works that way with a lot of plants or, you know, humans have also done the thing of, you know, radiation gardens were all the rage um, and they still use to some extent and radiation, as many people know, does harm DNA. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it literally can break into pieces. And you know, if you like the ruby red grapefruit, that is a product of putting grapefruit trees in a radiation garden, exposing them to a lot of radiation, breaking apart the DNA, just inducing random mutations, right? Mm-hmm. And seeing if you get a variety that is better or appealing that or good. That is crazy. So that is not precise genetic modification, right? right? That's that is random chance. random chance and picking the thing that looks good. Yeah. Because, and, because it is strictly an aesthetic, right? We're just right. saying we just like this better. It, it's not about survival. It's not right. about anything. Just it tastes better. It looks nicer. Right. But I think that's an interesting point there because I think what a lot of people would think is you're putting radiation into the plant mm-hmm. as though that is a characteristic that could be bestowed onto the produce and they're going right. to say now we know now it's radiative it's radioactive right. grapefruits but it isn't which is not a thing right because yeah. the radiation goes away right right like you know it's you expose it to radiation and then basically that radiation yeah. is gone because it's a misunderstanding of what radioactivity radiation is. is yeah exactly. precisely um because like because by the time it makes it to your supermarket like you know yes you've got a couple of seeds of this variety of grapefruit that you know it's like yeah this ruby red grapefruit like look at this fruit this is amazing like mm-hmm. you have to take those seeds grow them cross mm-hmm. them to a variety that might be better you know commercially because like a lot of these things they modify at first aren't the commercially viable version they're just like oh they're the tree we can propagate very very quickly and like produce a lot of fruit quickly or a lot of seeds quickly and like mm-hmm. you know i don't know about you but like people don't like seeds in their fruit like very much it's like i'm not to get in the way yeah. and um, and so like, you know, you have to, then you have to take that one mutated plant that you got this cool ruby red trade out of grow those again, someplace else, cross them to a new variety. And so like you're several separate steps removed from the radiation by the time that thing makes it to your plate. Yeah. Oh, you're just so many degrees removed. Yeah. yeah. So like, this is not a concern, but like, you know, this is like a standard, this is a way we get new varieties. Mm-hmm. Like another way we get new varieties is going out into nature and figuring out like, okay, what natural relatives of this plant exist? And do they have useful traits that mm-hmm. we can take advantage of? Like, is the genome similar enough that they can right. be crossbred at all? Exactly. Yeah. And, and if not, you know, like, and there are tricks you can do, like you can, you know, like use one organism that to can breed with as an intermediary. So like you bring it into the first one and then you mm-hmm. bring it to the second one. Right. And See, that's to me, to me, that's Frankenstein. That's mad scientist. <laughs> that act. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, that's, mm-hmm. that's David in, in alien, uh, mm-hmm. mixing the, the, the alien species. And right. I mean, and, it is and, a little bit, right. It like, seems like that to me and, and I'm cool with it, but right. it's like, well, then why well, not this other thing? You know? Right. Well, another thing to like understand is, you know, like, I mean, 
so like in what we talked about with what you know Bayer does and like modern precision genetic engineering like it's one gene inserted very precisely into a genome right, right? like that's what is done versus random mutations very is what you used to do versus yeah. just oh this looks like an interesting trait how can we get it into a variety that we like to grow mm -hmm. like which is crossbreeding and moving genes around that way or like you know we take up whole plants and move them around the world and grow them in whole new places and contexts. Right. And, much sloppier, much right. more, many more question marks right. with surrounding those processes. Right. Yeah. You know, and you know who else is, you know, who's been doing this for a lot longer than humans have? Just nature does this all the time. Well, yeah, and that's how we get new species. That's how we get new species. This is, and like, and not just like, you know, it's like, it's not just like evolution from like first organism to the next one, to the next one. Like, no, no, genes jump between species, mm -hmm. right? Like viruses and bacteria do this the most mm -hmm. by far. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, bacteria. Tran transfection, tra is that right. the word? Yeah. Basically, yes. Yeah. So like, you know, viruses are very good at mixing DNA together because like they infect a cell and then they make more and more copies of themselves. And mm -hmm. sometimes they get host genome in their genome and mm -hmm. it, like it all gets mixed up and like you know and that can get then get moved to another genome like in another bacteria or you know another organism that they go into infect and so like you know this is just like this has been going on on earth for you know billions of years mm -hmm. just a big melting like, pot of genes and yes everything's and so sloshed around and, and humans are a product of nature too mm -hmm. we evolved in you know in africa um like several hundred thousand years ago and we are nature's just latest mechanism of right. moving genes around the world and you know transferring them between species and like there are many examples like you know of this like if you want to read more about horizontal gene transfer um, David Quammen is a science writer who has a book called The Tangled Tree mm -hmm. um, that's about, you know, this process of how life evolves and how messy um, DNA and genetics are in mm -hmm. the biological world and how noisy, you know, just that is. And like, I mean, you're right, we don't yeah. know the outcome necessarily, but... I mean, exemplified by the fact that, what is it, around mm -hmm. one percent of of the genome is genes right so in it varies mm -hmm. depending depends on the organism you're talking about in mm -hmm. humans it is about two percent of our dna codes for actual protein coding genes that right. do work and the rest is other stuff other stuff some of which has function yes some of which doesn't right right exactly I mean, yeah but there are organisms that have a lot Mm -hmm. less like they're a lot more gene dense i guess is the way to put it so like you know some some plants have very are very gene dense like you know car there's a some carnivorous plants that grow in marginal environments that you know they have a hard time getting their nutrients and like one hypothesis out there is that the reason that is like and the reason they have a very streamlined dense genome is because Maintaining anything bigger would be impossible nutritionally mm, for them. Yeah. And like, you know, too much replication. You, you minimize the replication spends. you have to do, yeah, right? You minimize the energy and DNA replication. Do you think, I mean, hearing what you're saying about viruses and uh, mm -hmm. that genome getting in here, the bacterial genome getting in mm -hmm. there, I wonder if viruses played a very strong part in the development of or, or the origin of multicellular life. They may have. Um, yeah. I don't like nobody. I don't think anyone don't has the know. definitive answer to that. But like certainly, so like you know, another example of like important milestones in life are, you know, are endosymbiosis events. So like you mm -hmm. know, the reason cells have energy, like you know, produce energy, is they have a thing called a mitochondria, which we think is you know, just like a small, tiny part of a cell. Well, that used to be a free living organism yeah. that you know another cell swallowed, and they made a partnership. And like so, mitochondria have their own DNA, and like this is you know 
weird genetic modification, right? It's like an organism living inside another organism. Mm -hmm. That that over time became one organism. Right. Essentially, yes. But like, you know, like, I mean, where do you draw the line of like, you know, like the mitochondria can no longer live free outside of, you know, a cell anymore, but over millions of years, it still has its own DNA. It still replicates on its own. Um, Mm -hmm. And and the thing is, like, it's complicated because, like, you know, some mitochondrial genes that were in that genome have shifted to the genome that's in the nucleus of mm-hmm. cells. Like, so it's it's like, wait, well, what is this? Yeah, this yeah. is very messy. And, like, you know, the, the chloroplast in plants is another example of that. Like, mm-hmm. it's another endosymbiotic event. So plants mm-hmm. have mitochondria, too, and they have chloroplasts, which are, are responsible for photosynthesis. Mm-hmm. Um so like there's two endosymbiosis events like that happened and like so plants are, you know, they're the primary producers of everything on earth and they got two right. ex- foreign sources of DNA that mm-hmm. came in and were horizontally transferred. So mitochondria maybe happened first. Well, or well, I we believe don't know which that's, one first. No, the mitochondria I believe happened first. Right. And then chloroplasts. And then the chloroplast was a bit later yeah. and then that evolved into like into plant plants cells. on land yeah. eventually. Like this all happened, like the endosymbiosis events happened as single-celled organisms in the ocean. Yeah, first. Phy- phyto, uh, right? Phyto. Well, what would you call it? So they're so the chloroplast is thought to be probably like a blue-green algae, mm-hmm. like you know, like a cyanobacteria. Um, I don't know the mitochondria. Like, if anyone knows, has an idea about Where what kind of organism was yeah. was the mitochondria before it got mm-hmm. swallowed by whatever other cell swallowed it. Yeah. But then but, equally incredible is how, uh, you know, a, one day a cell divided and they just kind of stuck together. Right. I, I read something about coanoflagellates. Mm-hmm. So there's like these uh, in a sponge, there's like mm-hmm. this structure that's sort yep. of a, I don't know, my, that's the extent so of what they're, I know. Right. So, right. So coanoflagellate, like in a sponge, like, so there are these cells that like sort of have like a, you know, like a wiggly bit that's like, yep. you know, sticks out and you know, swirls and produces like a small current that, you know, drives like detritus and stuff that that cell can eat. Mm -hmm. And a sponge is just a collection of those. Yeah. And those are thought to be something like the earliest animals. Like, you know, these things still exist today. They live on, you know, the ocean floor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have like lots of these little coanoflagellates going and producing like little currents to like, you know, get stuff to flow by that Mm -hmm. they can eat. And it's sort of like a collective animal. Like, is it multicellular? I mean, it's on the line for sure. And, you know, like there's examples of like, you know, the, like an algae called Volvox, which is a collective of 50,000 or so cells, mm-hmm. but it's not, but they're not so specialized. They're not so specialized. And yeah. And like, it's, you know, thought to be an early example of, you know, experimenting, you know, direction towards multicellular yeah. life. I mean, it's good to look at because it mm-hmm. takes away the complexity of, I mean, obviously something like a human. And then you're really just, all you need is like, okay, well, there were some, I don't know if you'd call them adhesins or just mm-hmm. some surface protein that just mm-hmm. said, you know what, after we divide, we stick together. Yep. And that's, I mean, we don't Or you know. don't fully like break off when you divide. Yeah. Right. Or because, you know, like another, mm-hmm. right. Because like, you know, there are cells and you, you divide and don't fully like, you know, pinch off it doesn't pinch off yeah and i mean to to me that i i'm as comfortable with that as with anything Mm -hmm. being a product of random mutation right Mm -hmm. we're talking about a surface protein or or or, or two i i don't know but it's it's not it's so much like i think people just they want to jump from a bacterium to a human and it's like oh my goodness so many steps in between uh, billions of steps in between right and like you know lots of messy horizontal gene transfers and you know because like you know like again like 
another interesting example of like horizontal gene transfer, like, you know, like there's a virus that's responsible for, you know, placental mammals, right? Like a viral protein got into, you know, the genome of whatever ancestral, you know, placental mammal was out there. And, you know, it allowed for like, oh, you know, when, like when a human is born, like, you know, like, or when human is in the womb, like it's, it has a placenta that attaches to mom and, um, you know, and the, there's a virus responsible for that. It's like horizontal gene transfer. It's what, it's the exact same thing of what, you know, scientists do with genetically modifying a plant. It's mm-hmm. just a quirk of nature. Like, so nature is so, so messy and we are a part of it. Yeah. And like, you know, yes, we have to be as responsible as we can and tick boxes and figure out like mm-hmm. what, you know, what is you know, a good solution, what causes problems, mm-hmm. like where it causes problems, you know, like, you know, like bears dealing with, you know, like, a, you know, an insect that they call dicamba in Alabama, they've had nothing but problems because mm-hmm. like the, the form they made it in to spray, like it goes all over. And like, if you don't have the dicamba crop, mm-hmm. like your plants are going to die. Your farm, like, so it's right. been, it's been a horrible thing. It's like, well, but you worked through you, it. Maybe you should have thought that through, you know, like, you know, I don't know yeah. what test you didn't do, but like, clearly you didn't do your job fully and like you should criticize yeah. that corporation sure. for that. You know, like that, those farmers are outraged that their crops are being affected by something they didn't want mm-hmm. or didn't grow right on their farm. It mm-hmm. just got blown by the wind over to my farm and is affecting me now. Yeah. And I, and rightfully and, outraged. And, yeah. Right. And so like, you know, it's not that, you know, you can't criticize GMOs, mm-hmm. but like there's, a very complicated world out there and it's not one thing <laughs> it's not and 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 it's not utterly i mean it, it almost seems as though human consciousness and and human technology isn't is a paradigm shift mm-hmm. in nature's quest right to do all these things and 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 mm-hmm. how dare we say no to nature we will not play right. ball here <laughs> i mean right like if you want to take the dim view like you know humans are you know in some ways like you know we're like slightly more precise viruses like in that you know we can move dna from one place to another in you know precise place say we want that segment of dna mm-hmm. and you know and like the nonsense consent right exactly <laughs> um right exactly and like you know we decide like oh yeah this would be a good solution to have but like you know the thing you know the latest version of genetic engineering and gmos is with crispr yeah. Uh, which is the newest way to modify DNA. And it's a lot more precise than, you know, methods that came previously and cheaper. Yeah. And in Europe, they just recently ruled. It's like, oh, we're going to rule all CRISPR, you know, produced or plants are the, uh, fall into the same rules to genetically modified organisms. And like, that's sort of a problem. Like you're defining, like you're, you know, you're making something that's, you know, like not necessarily genetically engineered by CRISPR. Cause like with CRISPR, you can produce, like if you have a, like a variety of a plant that you're like, you know what, we want to replicate those traits in this plant, and like you know we know the genes involved, you can modify them to make the identical product mm-hmm. <laughs> that you would get by crossbreeding, mm-hmm. that would take a lot longer. Mm-hmm. You could produce the identical plant with the same mutations, everything. And Europe is saying because you used CRISPR that is a genetically modified organism and has to go through that regulatory process. Right. And it's not genetically modified. It's genetically engineered yes. because there's a component that is synthetic. Right. right. There's part of it that's, you know, right. But like, you know, the CRISPR is gone in this case. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you've, you know, you've, yeah, like it takes time to do this. Like it's not no effort. It's, you know, it takes work to figure it out and make yeah. this, you know, organism. But like you can replicate something that exists in nature that's like, that would be desirable. And so like this, Europe is saying like, yeah. and produce it a lot faster, right? 
And this you know, really touches on 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 a no, I mean on, on a related fear held by the public, and that is of the concept of of, of something synthetic mm-hmm. or, or the process of synthesis. Right, and so this gets you know complicated with biology, right? Like DNA is DNA is DNA, and you know like we can like humans have figured out the technology to make DNA to molecules. Make like we can yeah. do the chemistry, like, you know, in a Sur- laboratory. Surprisingly straightforward, in fact. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, like still most convenient is, you know, producing DNA in an organism. So like, you know, mm-hmm. in in genetics laboratories around the world, E. coli. It's e. coli. Yeah. Exactly. That's the workhorse. You put, you know, put, put DNA in like a in a form that E. coli can hold and carry and they'll replicate it for Bacterial you. Slavery. And then you get it out. Yeah, it is basically. <laughs> um, I don't think they mind. I don't think, yeah, I think they're, yeah, I mean, it's, yes. Um, yeah, but like, you know, like, again, like, you know, E. coli cares about replicating itself, right? And right, it's like, wow. we're giving them a right. nice, nice and, place to stay. Right, and there's plenty of like E. coli still out in the wild and in our guts and, you yeah. know, like it's, but like, you know, like it has this very useful function of like, it can really grow Build quickly and replicate products. DNA, like, mm-hmm. you know, without error very well. So, yeah. And so like, you know, like, humans can do this and like, we've figured out how to apply this technology and, you know, like, yes, we have to be open with the public about what it is we're developing and the tools that are, you know, being put to use. Yeah. But like the products, you know, like need to be taken on a case by case basis. Like that's the key. And like, you know, Just like, like is it going to work? Right. Exactly. Is it going mm-hmm. to work in every context? No, it probably won't. Like, you know, whatever tool it is probably has a very precise idea of where it's going to operate and like what it's going to do for the world. Like, you know, like BT eggplants, like they're solving a real problem that farmers had of producing, like, you know, having low yields and, you know, inconsistent harvests and decimated fruits and, you know, they can now do better for themselves in life because they have this technology that they were given. It's undeniable. Yeah. And so, you know, these are, you know, these are real solutions to real problems and we have to take it on, you know, a case by case basis, like I said. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in some cases, yes, there are big corporations involved. In some cases there are not. Um, and you know, I think it's just, you know, a case of like, take it on a case by case basis. Like don't just sit there and say like, yeah, you know, this is bad. And like, you know, if you see the non GMO label, like, you know, I'll just end on this, that, you know, it's a label that, you know, you see on more and more products, but there are very few genetically modified organism products on the market out there. And they put it on everything, whether there's a genetically modified version of it or not, or whether it's biological or or whether it's biological or not, right. (laughs) You can buy GMO free salt. And what could that possibly mean? Exactly. And like, you know, it's sitting right next to the kosher label and yeah. Yeah. And kosher, like I understand like, okay, you can have kosher salt. Absolutely. Like, I don't know completely. what that means. What does that mean? I mean, well, basically it means it's been, you know, blessed by a rabbi or produced in such a way that ah, it's like, okay. yes, this is you, you, kosher. You get to decide whether right. that means anything or not. But, right. But like, it is if it matters, if it, if it matters to you, yes, like, you know, this has been through the, a process of like, yes. this is a product that is certified as kosher. Mm-hmm. Um, by a rabbi at some point. Okay. Like, you know, like I think I I don't, I'm not overly familiar, but like, you know, it's like, yeah, like that's a legit cultural Mm -hmm. label that's out there that, you know, like matters to a community of people. Right. And great. So I guess if there's then like, if it's a meaningless label, like why would you have it even? (laughs) Right. So, so maybe just with, with these kinds of labels, I mean, if we can get away a little bit from the memification of how we, uh, exactly approach these, these topics just is our GMO is going to solve every problem. No, they're not. Are all of them bad? No, they're not. It's just, look, we're all here. 
we're just trying our best to mm-hmm. solve some problems. And if we have technology, if we have uh, tools at our at our disposal, we should disposal, we take should advantage of them. them. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. That's yeah. I like that. I feel good about that. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you yeah. for stopping by. Absolutely, my pleasure.